Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Mornings feeling very distracted. Sometimes even a little discouraged. And perhaps a few will wander in on Sunday morning depressed. Exams are on the horizon at school. Or maybe you have an interview for a new job Monday morning. Your grandfather's in the hospital, seriously ill. The kids are driving you crazy. You're exhausted. Nothing seems to be going your way. You're physically and emotionally done. You'd rather stay home and watch Netflix than come to church. You're not really interested in what the Bible has to say today. Prayer is the last thing on your mind. We often come. We often come feeling empty and drained. We feel wounded and weary. And we have nothing left in the well. But I've discovered that praise often primes the spiritual pump. Praising God often gets me off the couch and into the game. Praising God, praising God even when I don't feel like praising God, helps to develop spiritual muscle. Yusuf read Psalm 145 for us. Psalm 145 is a Hebrew acrostic poem, which means that every verse of Psalm 145 begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's, it's majestically poetic. And together these verses form a beautiful uh, God-honoring hymn of praise. We've been singing songs of praise this morning. It is well with my soul. Every believer in Jesus needs to learn how to live a life of persistent praise. Every one of us needs to learn how to live a life of persistent, untiring, relentless, adoring praise. And Psalm 145 gives us some really good reasons why. The first of which is the greatness of God. Verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. I wonder at times if we have lost our vision of the greatness of God? Do we understand really how great and awesome and mighty He is? The Scriptures boldly declare His his worth and His majesty, His glory, His greatness. But our practice of praise falls far short of His greatness. His importance and prominence cannot be overstated. His rank and reputation are matchless. The God we serve and the God we love is a great God. Verses 1 and 2 declare that His name is great. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, even when I don't feel like it. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Why? Because his name is great. His great name represents 
all that he is and all that he does and who he is like. The compound names of the Old Testament, Jehovah Jireh and all the rest, are descriptive names. They are describing for us who God is and and what he's like. And when we understand the scripture, when we come face to face with the God of the Bible and understand who he is and and what he's like, we praise him. We've got, there's no other response that's appropriate. We, We praise God. We fall on our faces and worship him. What's more, his works are great. Verses 4 and 6, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That's what parents do with children and grandparents do with grandchildren. They commend the works of God to another generation, declare his mighty acts. They shall speak of your might, of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. There it is again. Our God is still in the business of performing awesome deeds that are mighty and powerful and humbling. Just because I don't experience or I don't see with my own eyes all the great things that God is doing around the world doesn't mean that He's inactive. might simply mean I'm myopic. I'm I'm too busy gazing at my navel and interested in my three best friends, me, myself, and I. I'm so distracted, I'm so, I'm so inwardly tuned that I'm not really seeing the great and mighty works that God is doing. God is still in the business of changing people. His wonders have not ceased. Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you, Roger. I'll pay you later, buddy. Verse 5 says that His majesty is great. His name is great, his works are great, his majesty is great. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. The glorious splendor of your majesty. Wow. His majesty is great. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Our God is an awesome God. His power is breathtaking. His glory is overwhelming. His splendor is extraordinary. His love is irresistible. So even when we're distracted, even when we're discouraged, even when we'd rather be at home watching Netflix, we should praise him because he's great. His name is great. His works are great. His, he's an awesome God, and we should praise him. In the very next verse, the psalmist also begins to exalt the goodness of God. If the greatness of God isn't enough to get you up off the couch and in the game, maybe the goodness of God will help you. It'll prompt you a little more. (laughs) Verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And we jump down to verse 7. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Love that. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He's made. Verse 10, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. <laughs> it's going to happen. You know, the psalmist speaks with such faith. It's, it's going to happen. All that you've made, Lord, is going is to bow down and worship you, is going to praise you. And someday that will happen. Might not be today or tomorrow, but someday 
Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Author Philip Yancey describes a moment of profound wonder when he was on vacation years ago in, in the state of Alaska. He was driving down the road when he came across a whole line of cars pulled off to the side of the highway. And curious, like everyone else, he parked his car and got out to see what was going on. He describes the scene. Against the slate gray sky, the water of an ocean inlet had a slight greenish color interrupted by small white caps. But soon I saw these were not white caps at all, but whales, silvery white beluga whales in a pod feeding not more than 50 feet offshore. I stood there with other onlookers for 40 minutes, listening to the rhythmic motion of the sea, following the graceful, ghostly crescents of surfacing whales. The crowd was hushed, even reverent. And for just that moment, nothing else mattered. We were confronted with a scene of quiet beauty and a majesty of scale. God is so good, and we are so small, he wrote. We strangers stood together in silence in the awesomeness of that moment. Well, when we're confronted by the greatness of God, and when we're confronted by the goodness of God, we may feel small too. But the best response is praise. The Lord is gracious and merciful, the psalmist said. The Lord is slow to anger. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord is abounding in steadfast love. Hallelujah. The Lord is good to all. So let's praise him. Let's praise him when we feel like it. Let's praise him when we don't feel like it. Let's praise him until we feel like it. But let's praise him. A third reason for praise, the government of God, his supervision, his administration of the universe is really quite flawless. His command and his leadership in our lives is faultless. His authority and expertise is impeccable. He governs with goodness and grace. He governs with integrity and justice. The author of Psalm 145, referring to this generation of people who will commend his works to the coming generation, says in verse 11, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout All generations. Powerful passage, isn't it? I sat with my not-quite-two-year-old granddaughter yesterday morning on the couch or sofa, depending on where you're from, and I was reading to her from a children's Bible. And we talked about the creation of the world and how good God is and giving us all that he's given us in the creation of the world. And then we sat and I read to her about Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of man. Did I mention that she's not quite two? 
Why would you do that to a two-year-old? Because I'm commending the works of God to another generation. It's never too young. It's never too early to teach a child about the Word of God. Don't you believe that? And grandparents bring their grandchildren to church to reinforce that. We bring our children to the nursery and the toddler room and upstairs and the other part of the building to kids' gatherings so that we can commend the works of God, the glory of God, tell of His power to all of these children to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds, to talk to them about the kingdom of God. And maybe their parents and grandparents too. The word kingdom appears four times in three verses. You see that? Four times in three verses. This points us, this prompts us, this pushes us to the, to the ruling power of God. It helps us to understand that God is governing the world, that he's the king in charge of the kingdom, that he sovereignly rules and reigns over the earth. God has a divine purpose in all that he does. Even if I don't understand it, even if I can't comprehend it, even if I don't see purpose and meaning and significance behind a series of events, God is still in it, working out his perfect will in some way that for the moment escapes me. Because last time I checked and last time I looked in the mirror, I, don't, I am not omniscient. I don't have all understanding. I can't answer all the questions. And so I just trust him. Lord, you run the world now. I'm, I'm done. I, I resign. God has a divine purpose. And he providentially governs or directs all things in order that they accomplish his purpose. He's working to accomplish his purposes. Not necessarily mine or yours. Do you believe that? And the last reason for praise in Psalm 145 is the grace of God. Verse 13, second half, which we forgot to read on the screen. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And raises up all who are bowed down. Anybody come to church this morning? Bowed down? Heavy laden? The eyes of all look to you, Lord, and you give them their food in due season. And you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Read the next few lines with me, would you please? The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Thank you, Lord. That, to me, that sounds like grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, doesn't it? I mean, that's just... That's the grace of God right, right there contained in those verses. And he's faithful. He, he's righteous. He's kind. He's near to us. That's grace. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. That's grace. 
He hears their cry. That's grace. He saves them. That's grace. The grace of God is a reason to praise Him. And and so the grace of God covered the earth long before Jesus ever uh, appeared in Bethlehem. This is what we call common grace. Common grace is, is is the grace of God that is common to all human beings. It's common because it benefits everyone. The the sun shines on the evil and the good. The rain falls upon Christian farmers and non-Christian farmers. It's common because it's shared with believers and unbelievers alike. It's it's grace because it's unmerited favor. It's It's the grace of God which is undeserved and sovereignly distributed by God. Common grace. But saving grace, on the other hand, is bestowed only upon those who who, who repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's saving grace. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that nobody can boast. That's saving grace. Titus chapter 3 Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's saving grace. I'm I'm so grateful to God for His saving grace, aren't you? So, So there is an aspect of God's grace which is available only to the people who are on the narrow way. There is an aspect of God's grace which is available only to those who acknowledge Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And when we call upon the Lord Jesus, when we repent of our sin and place our faith and confidence and trust in the Lord Jesus, then He saves us by His grace alone and for His glory alone. And that's a reason to praise the Lord. Amen? That's the reason to praise the Lord. You know, like I said when I started, many of us come on on Sunday morning very distracted. I think in the 30-some years that Patty and I have been involved in ministry and the 30 years that Jamie's been alive, I I can't even tell you how many times Jamie has had a seizure on Sunday morning when we've been getting ready for church. And yours truly is getting ready to preach. Do you realize how distracting that is? Of course you do. Of course you realize, because you have your own distractitis stuff in your life, right? We all get bitten by distractitis once in a while. But, but some people come more than distracted. They come discouraged. And not a few come feeling depressed. And again, in that 30-some years of ministry, I can't, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, oh, you know, I, I didn't make it last Sunday, Pastor, because I just, I didn't, what's the next word? Feel like coming to church. That's exactly when you need to get to church. When you don't feel like coming to church, that's when you need to be in church. 
When you find every reason in the book, not the good book, but the other book, some book, your book, not to come to church, that's when you need to get to church. Well, you know, those people, the church is full of hypocrites, you know. Oh, take a number. I could give you a thousand reasons why I don't want to be someplace sometime. But when it comes to church, that's the time. I need to be with my family. I just said to somebody this morning, I need people in my life who will say, how is it really going? What, what's really going on in your life? I need people like that. Where are you going to find people like that? You work with people like that? No. You go to school with people like that? Are you kidding me? Your next door neighbor, uh-uh. The people right here in your family, at home, here, who are going to get in your face and say, Sandy, are you sure you can take that on with your arthritis in your hands? Are you sure? Is that a good idea? We need people like that, right? Where are we going to find that? You have an exam. You have an interview to prepare for. Family members sick. The kids, well, you know, driving you crazy. You're exhausted from lack of sleep. You're distracted, and that's understandable. But praise primes the spiritual pump. Praise primes the pump. And so we should praise God when we feel like it, and praise God when we don't feel like it, and praise God until we feel like it. He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. Anybody come to church this morning feeling heavy and heavy laden, burdened, distracted? Yeah, not, people are nodding all over. The rest are, are hesitant, to be honest, because Lino does strange things sometimes. He has us stand up and people pray for us and lay hands on us, and we don't want any of that stuff. Okay, I won't put you on the spot today, Kenny. Won't, I won't call you out, Dick. No, sir. Won't do that. Wouldn't want any, anybody to feel embarrassed. Did you know that Monopoly has done away with the thimble? That's right. It's gone. It's not part of the game anymore. Back when the iconic board game was introduced during the Great Depression, the players could choose from a wide variety of, of game pieces. There was the iron and the top hat, remember? The boot, uh, the race car, there was a dog. Well, Parker Brothers, who created the game, have cycled pieces in and out for decades, uh, retiring some that aren't relevant anymore, whatever that means, and bringing new pieces on that appeal to the game players. Recently, they've been conducting online polls to ask fans uh, which uh, pieces should remain and which pieces should be retired. The practice has gained popularity across the Internet and has resulted in the death of a number of pieces, like the iron. By that, I mean that that thing that you plug into the wall and make your clothes. Yeah, some of you have never used one. <laughs> I use one regularly at my house. Horse and rider, gone. And now, of course, the thimble, kaput. Only time will tell how long the remaining original pieces stick around because the world is ever changing and but until then, until we know, until they decide which pieces will stay and which pieces will go, we'll simply say goodbye to the humble thimble. Goodbye. It's gone. 
Some things need to change and die, right? Some practices, some things need to go the way of the thimble. But friends, the word of God and the core of the gospel must remain untouched. We will not fool with those things. We will not change the word of God. We will not change the gospel even when they are no longer as popular as they used to be. Here we stand on the word of God. We shall take our stand in Jesus Christ alone forever. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And therefore, the message about him must remain the same. And our responsibility and privilege to praise him and worship him, regardless of how I feel, also remains the same. We can live a life of persistent praise no matter what is happening around us. We may be distracted momentarily. We may be preoccupied temporarily. We may be inattentive or even absent-minded. But we love Jesus here, and we will praise him. We will. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand, and I will praise him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger and abounding in love, and we thank you for that. You're good to all. Your mercy is over all you've made. And Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you today. And all who know you are blessing your name in this very moment. It's our honor, it's our privilege to speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power and to make known to everyone your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. The scripture says your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being part of that today. You also uphold all who are falling and raise up all who are bowed down and discouraged or disheartened. And Lord, there are people in this audience this morning who came to church feeling just that way, bowed down, discouraged, disheartened. And we pray, oh God, we pray that you will lift them up today. You'll fill their hearts with peace and hope and stamina resistance against the enemy. We pray, O oh God, that you will strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ, that they may rise up on wings like eagles, that they may walk and not faint, that they may run and not become weary this next week. We pray that you would do that again and again and again, and that you would bring even more glory and even more fame to your name through all of that. And we pray all of these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.